Good morning to you. Thank y'all so much for being here with us. Go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. And as you're turning there, if you're here as a guest, if you're watching online, if you're listening to our podcast later on, we are so grateful for you. Thank you for joining us for worship uh, this morning. So if you're there with me in Jonah chapter 2, let me go ahead and invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. For the sake of time, let's start at verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Let's pray. God, we're overwhelmed by your mercy this morning, that while we were still sinners, Lord, you sent your son Jesus to die in our place. Oh, God, I pray for a miracle that happened in this place today. Steady our hearts. Lord, we've had busy weeks. We've been stressful. We're exhausted. Oh, God, may we rest in your open word. Lord, speak to us, Lord, we pray. Open our eyes to see that all who call on your name will be saved. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm a big fan in in learning how things were made, and I love hearing stories about how songs were written and where people were when they wrote those songs. And the song that came to mind, and as I was studying this text this week, is the song of the God that saves. Now, you've been here long enough. We've sung that song many, many a times here in this church. Uh, so I, but I've watched this video a long time ago, and I just forgot the story, so I went to YouTube like everybody else, and I found the song story of God That Saves. So the songwriter of that song, he's a worship leader named Stephen McWhorter, and he shared in this story that he was addicted to drugs when he was younger. He said that for the, at the worst time of his life, for five straight years, every single day, he would use crystal meth. And he said the the bad part about the situation was that as he was taking these drugs and and, and abusing all these things, he was very aggressive towards anybody who spoke about Jesus. He, He just did not want to hear about Jesus at all. And he said that the most miraculous part of his testimony was the fact that he actually listened to his brother-in-law one day and took a book from him. So his brother-in-law came up to him and he gave him a book about Jesus. And that night, laying in bed at three in the morning, Stephen began to read this story, read this book about Jesus. And he said at that moment, he was overwhelmed with God's very presence. He said he began to see who Jesus really was, the miraculous, wondrous glory of all that Jesus was. And he saw his sin. And as he saw these things, he just began to pray, Lord, I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to follow you. I want to to submit to you and serve you for the rest of my life, but I just don't know how to let go of these drugs. He said he had a thought in his mind that was as audible and as loud as any voice could ever be that said, you do not have to, I'll do it for you. He said at that moment, he lost his taste for crystal meth and drugs forever. And the most amazing part was that a year and a half later, he was hired to be the worship leader of the church he still is at today. Now, I say all that to say, in this song story, he said that he reflected like 10 years later after what God had done for him. He reflected on everything that God had done for him in his testimony, and he wanted to write a song about what God had done for him. So he was praying, Lord, I want to write a song that's faithful to your character, that's faithful to to my testimony, what you've done for me. 
And he said, the Lord led him to Zephaniah 3. And as he was meditating on Zephaniah 3, he wrote these words. This soul, once torn and beaten, left out without reason to move on. Then you reached down and brought me up from the valley of dry bones. And this chorus says, you are the God that saves. You're the one who rescues me. You rescue me, Lord. You're the God that saves. You call me from the grave. You rescue me. You see, what Stephen experienced when he was younger, what he wrote about in this incredible song, God That Saves, is the very lesson that Jonah is going to learn in our passage this morning. That the God of this universe is a God who saves. He's a God who's merciful. He's a God who rescues the broken. Last week in our text, we left Jonah, the rebellious prophet, being thrown overboard the sailor ship and sinking to the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea. Down here in verse 17 today, we pick right up and it says what happens to Jonah. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So don't miss this picture. Jonah has been thrown overboard into the Mediterranean Sea. He is sinking to his death. This man is drowning. And notice what happens. The Lord in his sovereign mercy appoints a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Now for years, if you're like me, I've always just assumed that the fish was God's judgment on Jonah. But that's not the case. We see here literally that God saves Jonah from drowning by appointing a fish to swallow him. Now notice the back half of that verse. It says that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So so Jonah is in fact in the belly of his rescuer for three days and three nights. But there is a deeper meaning here based off the context of Jonah 2. In Jonah 2, Jonah sees himself as good as that dead, and God reaches down and rescues him. So, so just based on that context, it would be fair to say this morning that ultimately it takes three days and nights for Jonah to be carried from death to life. Now let me ask you this question. What do you think Jonah is doing as he sits in the belly of this fish? It's hard for us to grasp. We have entertainment everywhere. We have our phones in our hand all the time, and we can't imagine the moment that we're not entertained. But imagine not having anything in your hand. Imagine just sitting in the complete dark in a tight space for three days and nights. What do you think he's going to do? He's going to think. He's going to reflect. He's going to worship, right? We can honestly say this morning that this fish is not just a rescuer, but it's also a classroom. It's a classroom. God is teaching Jonah in this moment that he is no different than than the Ninevites. Jonah is just as wicked. He's just as depraved. He is just deserving of death and is in need as much as the Ninevites are for God's mercy. One commentator said it this way, To be a prophet to sinners, he had to learn his own sinfulness. God, from the belly of this fish, is causing Jonah to reflect on his own actions, his own sin, his own deserving of God's judgment. 
In essence, Jonah is reflecting on his own testimony. And we see this in chapter 2, verse 1. It says again, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Now let me just take a moment to sit back here and, and just emphasize very quickly what we see about the writing style here in this chapter. Now for us in 2021, we don't recognize Hebrew literature, but if you were an ancient Israelite, you would have immediately noticed that Jonah's testimony is written in the form of a thanksgiving psalm, a thanksgiving psalm. So let me just give you the structure of what that would look like and what that means for us this morning. In a thanksgiving psalm, you normally have an introduction to the psalm. We see that there in verse 2. Secondly, we see a description of a past distress. So here in our passage this morning, we see that in verses 3 through 6a. And then in verse 7, we see an appeal to God for help. Next, in the Thanksgiving psalm, we would see a reference to the rescue God provided. And we see that there in 6b in our passage this morning. And then finally, we see a vow of praise and or testimony, which closes out chapter 2. So for our purposes this morning, I don't want to miss the point here. Verse 2 is our introduction or our main message that we're going to be emphasizing. And then the rest of our passage is going to give us further detail as to how verse 2 is accomplished. So, in the form of this Thanksgiving psalm, Jonah begins to pray to the Lord from the belly of the fish, and he shares his testimony from his perspective. And this is what Jonah ultimately wants us to see, that he called out to the Lord out of his distress, and God answered him. So that's our main idea for this message this morning, that Jonah, out of his distress, calls out to the Lord for help, And God mercifully delivers him from death. So let's break this main point down into two parts. First, let's look at how Jonah calls out to the Lord for help. Verse 3 with me. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said... I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed on me forever. So as Jonah is sinking here at the bottom of the sea, he says that he began to recognize a few realities about his situation. First, Jonah recognizes that his deserved punishment is from God's hand. Notice the personal pronouns in verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the seas. A little bit lower. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Now, if we go back in our story, one, in chapter 1, verse 12, it's Jonah's idea to be thrown overboard. In verse 15 of chapter 1, it's the sailors who throw Jonah overboard. But notice what Jonah says. Notice how he explains that situation. He doesn't give himself or anyone any credit as to the situation he's going through. Jonah fully understands that it is God alone. Who has been pursuing him? It's God in his sovereign providence that has placed his judgment on him. Jonah here 
ultimately realizes that it is God alone he has offended. We see this in Psalm 51 for this idea Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. God is the one Jonah has been running away from. And he knows that it's God who is punishing him for his rebellion. Now, I want to be careful with this illustration and how I say it, but I do want to point out that sometimes we may go through something in our lives that is completely awful. It might be a sickness, a financial situation. It might be a job issue or a relational issue. Whatever the case may be, can I encourage you that before you just wave it off as nothing, to step back from whatever that situation is and ask this question, is God allowing all this to happen to get my attention? Could he be punishing me for some sin? Could he be trying to get me back to the straight and narrow? Is he trying to get my attention back to him and his mission? Listen, don't just wave something off in your life as something random or something as a freak accident. In fact, it could be God himself sending you a clear and direct message, a humility test, if you will, to see if you will humble yourself before him. Brothers and sisters, don't be fooled by traditional Christian cliche. God could very easily be the one who is sending you that wave of storms to get you back to him. Jonah in our passage recognizes here that his deserved punishment is from God's hand. Second, we see Jonah recognizes that he is about to die and is separated from God's presence. Go to verse 4 with me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. So, so Jonah's situation is serious. Don't miss that. You can just feel the urgency in his language. He gives us this image of being suffocated. He says, water closes in over him. The deep surrounds him. He is entrapped by seaweed at the bottom of the sea. Down to verse 6, we see the conclusion of his gradual descent away from God's presence and word. It says, he went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Down in 6b, it says, from the pit. This language here points us back to verse 2. The land, the bars, the pit, all refer to the land or realm of the dead or what we would call Sheol. Sheol in the Old Testament is not a good thing. It's this description of human's fate. In many, in many cases, it refers to the place of divine judgment. A curse often wished on the ungodly. That's what Jonah says. Jonah realizes that he is literally on death's doorstep. That his sin and rebellion has literally led him down to the grave, that God has divinely punished him, and that he is for sure about to die. But that's not the only thing Jonah recognizes. With his last breaths of air, he recognizes that he is separated from God's presence. Again, in verse 4, it says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. It shall I again look upon your holy temple. So Jonah here feels separated from God's very presence. 
He felt the absence of God. I can't tell you of more four scary words. The absence of God. Jonah got what he wanted, didn't he? He wanted to run away from God's presence. And in this moment, Jonah felt the full weight of what that actually meant and what it means to be separated from God's presence. Even his description here, nearing the gates of Sheol, help emphasize this point. You see, those who enter the gates of Sheol can no longer worship the Lord. They are forever separated from him. Isaiah 38, 18 gives us this description. For Sheol does not thank you, death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. You see, Jonah is on his deathbed, and he realizes what true loneliness really is. The worst part about hell is not punishment forever. It's the fact that you are completely and forever separated from God's holy presence. God's presence for us is everything, isn't it? It's the place where we worship. It's the place that we rest in. It's the place where we do our battles. It's a sign of our identity as followers of the Lord. To not have God's presence is to not have God. To be separated from God's presence ultimately leads to death. Jonah recognizes here that he is about to die and is separated from God's presence. Finally, Jonah recognizes that the Lord alone can save him. Go with me to verse 7. He says, When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Both verses 4 and 7 give us the same picture. As Jonah is nearing death, he turns to the only one he knows can save him. In both verses, we get this picture of him looking and praying to God's holy temple. God's temple is the place where he resides. It's the place where God's people went to worship him in the Old Testament. When Jonah says that he looks and prays to God at his temple, what he means is he is turning to the Lord himself. He's tired of running away. He's tired of turning away from the Lord. He's tired of trying to handle everything on his own. He realizes that he is absolutely helpless. So he turns back to the Lord. He looks to the one who can do a miracle and save his life. In Matthew 19, the the rich young ruler has just walked away from Jesus and Jesus begins to explain the cost of what it means to follow him. And at verse 25, the disciples are astonished by Jesus' answer and they just ask the question, who then can be saved? And I love Jesus' response. He says, with man, that is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. The Lord says in Isaiah 43, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. Jonah here recognizes that there is nothing he can do to save himself from God's holy wrath. So he turns to the God of the universe because he knows that what is impossible with man is possible with God. Now let me just push that a little bit further for just a second. That truth that I just said goes much further than just with our salvation with Christ. 
That truth is true for every single situation in our life, every single day. When you go through something in your life that is beyond your limitations, that leaves you helpless and desperately broken, when there, everything is lost, when everything is just cannot, nothing else can be done from your perspective, we can take heart and still look to our God who alone can do something about it. Back in early August, my uncle found out he had COVID and he started having this horrible uh, uh, te- uh, temperature. And so he ends up going to the hospital, had like 105 degree temperature. A few days into the hospital, he gets so bad that he's put on a ventilator. On August 11th, the hospital calls my aunt because they said there's nothing else that we can do. He is going to die. So my aunt goes in to the hospital. And nothing ever happens. They never come to see my aunt. They don't ever come talk to her. The next day they call her to come back in. Nothing ever happens. She just sitting there. This is all I can say. As God's people, including many of you in this room, we, as God's people, lifted up petitions for my uncle for many, many days and weeks and months. And what I can say is on October 5th, he walked out of rehab and went home. That's the power of the Lord. That's what we're talking about here. What's impossible with man is possible with God. This is what Jonah sees. Jonah is helpless. He has no chance of surviving, so he turns and recognizes that the Lord alone can save him. He calls out to the Lord for help. Second part we see here in this psalm is that God mercifully delivers Jonah from death. Go with me to 6b. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Notice with me a few things about how God delivers Jonah from death. First, we see how God leads Jonah to a place of repentance. Notice that Jonah did not repent and turn to the Lord until he was on his deathbed. God sent a storm to get his attention. It didn't work. God spoke through the mouths of pagan sailors to warn Jonah he still did not budge. He throws him overboard the ship into the sea to drown. He still doesn't do anything. It's not until he is at the lowest point of his life, at his deathbed, before he comes to the end of himself and he turns to the Lord and repents. Listen, until we realize that in and of ourselves, that we're nothing, that life isn't about us, that life doesn't revolve around us, that we are sinners in need of grace, we will never turn to the Lord for salvation. I mean, why would we? Everything's going great. Everything's just smooth sailing. Everything's perfect. We don't have room for a God who wants to be Savior and Lord of our lives. What we see here in Jonah is that God leads us to a place where he literally empties ourselves and removes our pride so that we can clearly see his amazing grace. We see this same concept played out in the story of the prodigal son. 
If you're familiar with the story, the prodigal son wants to get his inheritance from the Lord. So he gets his inheritance. He goes to a far away country, and man, he just begins to live his best life now. This dude buys up everything. He has the best parties, man. He goes and does everything that you can imagine in this life. But eventually, my man's money runs out. He's so desperate, he gets a job feeding pigs. And it says he was so hungry that he was even willing to eat the pig slop, but he couldn't even get fat. But down in verse 17, his, he finally comes to his senses. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Jonah, like the prodigal son, thought that his plans were better than God's. Until now, he he thought he was smooth sailing. He thought he could simply run away from what God told him to do. But God intervenes in this man's willful decisions and leads him to a place where he is literally at wit's end. He couldn't take it any longer. He was completely helpless and needed the Lord, so he confesses his sin and turns to the Lord because he knew that God alone could save him. Secondly, we see how God hears Jonah's call for help. Again, verse 7 says, When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Now, both this verse and verse 2 sound very similar to Psalm 18.6. It says, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Mark this down. One thing that God cannot do is deny himself. In Psalm 51, 17, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. God's chosen prophet is taking his last breath where he has been led to the end of himself. Jonah's broken over his sin, over his rebellion. He sees the consequences of turning away from the Lord and he cries out to to God to forgive and save him. And listen, the good news is that God, by his mercy, hears his prophet's cry to save him. And we see that God reaches down and rescues Jonah. It says in 6b, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. Jonah thought he was good as dead. He had one foot in the grave, literally. But he comes to his senses. He turns his face to the Lord, the only one who can save him. He cries out to the Lord for help, and then God in his mercy reaches down, and through the mouth of a great fish, he delivers Jonah and saves his life. It's good news this morning. Psalm 18.6 had to be running through Jonah's mind here. He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. God did the miraculous, didn't he? He reached down. He brought Jonah from death to life. He made a way to save his chosen prophet. 
Again, God can't deny himself. He looked down at Jonah's brokenness and he mercifully reached down and rescued him. But listen, that's not the only good news. He rescues Jonah, but ultimately he restores and resets Jonah's heart towards him in his mission. Go with me to verse 8. Jonah says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. As I mentioned from the beginning, Jonah is not just saved from death. For three days and nights, Jonah is sitting in a dark and clammy classroom of the very mercy of God. In order for Jonah to be obedient to his command, to go and declare to the Ninevehite, he had to learn about God's loving mercy himself. He had to come to the end of himself. He needed to realize that of his depravity, his wickedness, he needed to realize that he himself needs God's mercy. And as Jonah reflects on all that God has done for him, he responds in verse 9, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Don't miss this fact. The once unwilling prophet has now been restored and reset to both God and his mission, at least for a moment. God changes the trajectory of Jonah's trips and points him back to where he has called Jonah to go. Jonah says, I will not just sacrifice to you once, but I will sacrifice to you daily. I will continually praise you. What you have commanded me to do, I will do it, God. You save me by your mercy, and you will save anyone else who you choose to show mercy to. Notice when God tells the fish to vomit Jonah out on the beach, Jonah is a new man, at least momentarily, who has been brought from the dead, restored, and refocused for the mission God has placed in front of him. So what? Got one main application point. I told Pastor Stephen and, and Chris, who's been preaching through the series with us, I just wanted to get us to Jesus this morning. Uh, I don't have anything else I can offer you. I just want to point you to the God I know who can save. Jesus is the only way for a person to be saved from their sin. He alone has the power to rescue. So my main point is everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. I've been excited about this moment for a long time because Jesus gives us permission this morning to specifically point Jonah 2 to himself. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 38 through 40. And this is all the thing I want to do. I want to read this passage. 
I want to show you how this message of Jonah 2 connects with Jesus and the gospel, and then what that means for you and I today, okay? So let's read Matthew 12, down to verse 38. It says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So let's just wrap our mind around this context really quick. Scribes and Pharisees want to see a sign of Jesus to prove to them that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus looks at them and says that the only sign that they're going to get is the sign of Jonah. That his death and resurrection will show them that he is exactly who he says he is. So brothers and sisters, let's just celebrate the gospel together here. How is Jesus in his death and resurrection connected with Jonah too? Here's a few connections. Jonah was placed under God's wrath for his own sins and rebellion to the point of his near death. Jesus at the cross bore God's wrath, not for his own sins, but for the sins of the world. And he died for the sake of sinful creatures whom he came to redeem. Jonah, because of his sin, experienced for a moment what it was like to be separated and forsaken by God. Jesus at the cross was forsaken by his father and experienced in every way the utter separation from his father for the sake of sinners. Jonah, unwilling to obey God's command, was thrown into the sea for his own sins. Jesus willingly obeyed his father's command and went to the cross to die for our sins. Jonah entered his watery grave but didn't remain there. Listen, after Jesus died, he was laid in his tomb, but he didn't remain there. Jonah was entombed in the belly of the fish for three days and nights and was delivered up on a beach. Jesus laid in a grave for three days and nights and was delivered from death itself when he rose to life. Jonah, unwilling to go and proclaim God's mercy to pagan sinners, Jesus is the very definition of God's mercy to pagan sinners. Jonah called out to the Lord and was rescued from drowning by the fish that God sent to save him. Listen, Jesus is the very one who God sent to rescue everyone who calls on him to save him. You see, Jesus is in every respect the better Jonah. He is the better prophet. He alone is our salvation and hope and our deliverer. Praise God for his gift of his son. So how can we pod this and I'm done? Ultimately, the message of Jonah 2 in Romans 10, 13 is the same. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In every respect, the response to this truth is the same both for believers and non-believers. All of us are called to humble ourselves before the Lord, to surrender to him, to realize our sin and depravity, to realize our desperate need for him, and to call on him to save us. Specifically for believers in the room, we saw earlier how God will often send tests of humility in our lives to get our attention. 
The test might be simple. It might be as simple as you sitting in your living room on a Tuesday night with your family. You're holding your baby in the rocking chair and praying that she finally falls asleep. The test might be extreme when you're in the worst moment of your life and you're in the hospital room and you hear this awful diagnosis. It's the same situation in the sense that God in those moments is trying to get your attention. His purposes will be accomplished. And he commands each of us to humble ourselves before him, fully focusing on him who alone can save and focus on the mission he has placed us to do. And further, just for the believer, again, we notice here in the fact that God never leaves us. He never abandons us. Even when Jonah was at the brink of death, God heard his cry for help, and he was there. And can I just say this to you this morning? The God who is able to save you from your sin is the same God who will never leave you, and he is able to rescue you in all areas of your life. He commands all of us to look to him who alone can save us in all situations, no matter how great or small. For the unbeliever, the same again is true for you. That everyone must realize our sin and depravity. To realize our desperate need for Jesus and to call on him to save us from our sin. You see, all of us are like Jonah. We're hell-bound, reckless, rebellious sinners before a holy God, all deserving of death. And our sin has separated us from his holy presence. Like Jonah, we are lost and sinking to the bottom of the sea. And we have no way of getting out of that situation on our own. We're entrapped in our sin. But God, in the fullness of time, sent his one and only son, Jesus, our deliverer, to tear down our separation from God's presence. Jesus lived a perfect life we couldn't. He went to the cross to die a death we absolutely should have died, where he bore God's wrath, paid our sin debt in full, and three days later, the Bible says that he rose from the grave to completely destroying death forever. Because of Jesus, our deliverer, we are saved from our sin. We have full access to God's holy presence, and we have been given a new life and stance before God, our creator. God no longer sees us as sinful and disobedient. He sees us as children and righteous in his sight. Amen? This morning, I don't have a special prayer for you to bring you to Jesus. I wish I could do that that simple. But this is all I know from my own experience. If you come to God and confess your sin, admitting that you deserve nothing but his just punishment, and if you place your faith in his son Jesus, who willingly became your sacrifice, and if you surrender your life to him, he is faithful and just to forgive you, he will save you, and will bring you into his loving arms forever. All sinners draw near, for your work is all in vain, for the curse is deeper still, but there's life in Jesus' name. Let's pray.
As we close, I just want to throw this appeal to you. If you're in this room, if you're watching online, if you're listening to our podcast later on, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, if the Lord has revealed your sin to you, if you've seen the cost of what it means to sin against him, if you see, have seen the glory of Jesus and the hope there is in the gospel, don't wait another day. Call out to the Lord, and I promise you, he will save you. I'd love to talk to you as we sing. Pastor Stephen's here if you need anyone to pray with you, anything. Do not leave this place today if the Lord is doing a work in your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your mercy this morning. As we read earlier, it's new each and every morning. You're with us in the hard times. You're with us in the good times. Lord, and I thank you for the promise that you're here with us and you will never forsake us. Oh God, this moment is humbling. Lord, I pray that your word has been rightly declared. I pray that the gospel has been clear. And oh God, I pray you would do as you have promised, that your word will not return void. Lord, would you save souls in this room? Would you save souls through online? Would you open eyes this morning? Do a miracle in this place, Lord. We thank you for the gospel. Or may we respond now with joy in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.